You're listening to the Bear Down Chicago Podcast with Logan Bradley, Ryan Dangle, Patrick Sheldon, Brendan Chagru, and Jack Wright. The Bear Down Chicago Podcast. Yeah, we're that Bears podcast. All right, folks, welcome into another edition of the Bear Down Chicago podcast. I am your host, Ryan Dangle. Now, I am joined by Jack Wright and Brennan Chagru. Logan Bradley, unfortunately, couldn't be here tonight, but Patrick Sheldon should be here a little bit later, we're hoping. And we have a fantastic, amazing guest, which she just so happens to be here, boy. So I would love to have some banter, but I also kind of really want to talk to Carmen Vitali. Are you guys okay with uh, with with just jumping right into things and and having a chat. Absolutely. Go. So folks, before we get to chat with Carmen, just really quick, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can hit me at Ryan Dengel. Now, Jack Wright, you can hit him at Bear Down Jack. Brennan Chagru, you can read him uh, as part of Bears Wire. He's the assistant editor of Bears Wire. You can find him on Twitter at Brennan Chagru. And folks, we are joined by the amazing, the incredible Carmen Vitale. Uh, Carmen, there are so many wonderful things. I, I like as I look at your list. It's it's kind of kind of intimidating if I'm going to be totally honest with you. So Carmen covers the NFC North for Fox Sports. Uh, so technically speaking, you work with Logan, which is crazy. I wish he could be here tonight, but unfortunately not. Um, you are also the co-host of the Sick Podcast with Adam Rank. You also are a co-host of CHGO. Carmen, what don't you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you flatter me. That's so kind of you to say. Uh, I just like staying busy and I like talking football. So what can I say? People keep giving me outlets to do that. Uh, so I'm going to keep doing it. Awesome. Well, th- seriously, thank you so much for being part of the Bear Down Chicago podcast. We truly, truly appreciate you. All right. So Patrick Sheldon and I, we've gone a little bit back and forth on this one. Patrick was right. I was wrong. I thought the Vikings would find a way to win a game. They didn't. So mm-hmm. first question for you, Carmen, were you surprised that the Vikings lost to the Giants? Um, yes and no, because I think that that was a game that could have gone really either way. I mean, you look at this Vikings team and you look at this Giants team and it was honestly, it was a toss up. It didn't end up that way. I think that the Giants completely outplayed them. They were outcoached, um, all, all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, these were teams that had quite honestly, you know, risen above expectations throughout the entire season and they had pulled out close games and they were just kind of those sneaky teams that you didn't really know what to make of. And so I really felt like this was it was going to be a toss up. I thought maybe Minnesota might have a little bit of edge being at home, but that didn't seem to be the case. And I think that, you know, when you see a 13 win team like the Vikings were, but then you see a 14 win team like the Eagles, they may be one game apart in record, but they are not at all the same level if this last game uh, was any indication when the, the, the Eagles obviously took care of the Giants very handily. Hi, Carmen. Thanks for joining us. Do you do you think that the Lions should have made the playoffs instead of the Buccaneers? <laughs> uh, I think they had a lot more fight to them. And I, 
I hesitate to say yes, though, just because I don't think that they are still built yet to kind of go on a long run. I think it would have ultimately been the same result. So again, like, does it really matter which one of those teams got into the playoffs? I can't say enough, though, about what the Lions were able to do up at Lambeau Field in week 18. They knew they had nothing to play for, but everything that the coaches told me, you know, even pregame was, uh, yeah, the, the message in the locker room was to F shit. I don't know if I can say shit, but F shit up essentially like this was that was what they were they, it was a rallying cry in that locker room and if they weren't getting into the playoffs they were going to make damn sure that the Packers weren't getting into the playoffs either and when you can uh, you know I, I, if you're Dan Campbell you have to feel so good about what you've been able to do in Detroit so far the culture you've been able to build because to get guys to play for spite and, and to have them rally around just that and come out as hard as they did and quite frankly, punch Green Bay in the mouth at their place. Uh, it, it's tremendous. I can't say it. I, I had so much fun covering the, the Lions this year. Uh, so I feel like I'm even talking out of a little bit of a place of bias, unfortunately. Carmen, we've we've got some Bears questions, but before yeah. we get into that, I was just totally enthralled with your Twitter thread yesterday, <laughs> being at the Bills bar right before the playoff game and just live tweeting your experience. So before we get into that, I want to hear about your experience just among the Bills mafia and just what that was like seeing that seeing that playoff game too. You know, I have such respect for fan bases that are as invested as the Bills. I mean, I think the Bears are very similar and they haven't they've had precious little to celebrate. Uh, over at least the last couple of decades and they their fans are just so incredibly passionate I mean I'm all the way out here in LA and I went to this bar uh, we were with a friend of ours who um, he's a Bills fan and he was in town visiting he's like listen I need to find a place to be among my people and to watch this game and so I went and then I just decided I one look around that bar I think we got there eight minutes after it opened when I tell you people were packed in there already like sardines and probably were about two beers deep literally eight minutes after the bar opened I was like I have to people need to know about this like (laughs) I I'm I'm an outsider just kind of taking in my surroundings and it was so much fun despite the outcome I mean it got way more quiet I don't know what it would have been like if the Bills would have one but i can tell you that the few bengals fans that were in there uh a chose violence for being there because it's a very well-known build bar and b uh we're having the time of their life that's awesome oh man i miss i miss playoff football in chicago i I want that experience back but speaking of chicago and the bears uh it's been about i think almost two weeks now since kevin warren officially became the new president of the bears we got to see his press conference he's done a number of interviews so since then what have your been what have your impressions been of kevin warren and what do you think of him in this role i mean he's obviously extremely impressive you know he's coming from the big 10 as the commissioner there um even more impressive than that he built us bank stadium in minnesota help the franchise build that stadium and if you've ever been up there that's honestly one of my favorite stadiums in the entire league everything about it, the attention to detail, just the overall plan that they had for it and what's come of it since they they hosted the Super Bowl a few years ago, um, that that area has gotten built up. I mean, it, it did wonders for Minneapolis as a whole. Um, and I'm really excited for him to bring that. Obviously, we now have basically confirmation that the Bears are pursuing Arlington Park. They are going to move that way. Uh, it's going to allow them to have a lot more con- control over their revenue streams and to build out 
things around the stadium that, you know, can entice Bears fans in. And I do think that it'll be a little bit more accessible for the greater Chicago land area. But what I found the most interesting about Kevin Warren's hiring and kind of the direction that the Bears are going is that they're putting him back over football, like the football arm of the franchise. So like I worked for the Buccaneers as a team employee. So usually teams are, you know, you've got the football side of the organization, you've got the business side of the organization. They're usually very siloed. And the team president is more often than not over the business operations. So marketing, ticket sales, digital, all that kind of sponsorships, all of that kind of stuff. And then the football side is usually left to their own devices. The GM usually runs stuff around there, obviously in cooperation with ownership or whoever that may be. And what the Bears are saying now, and that's how the Bears operated with Ted Phillips, quite honestly. And now what the Bears are saying is, no, we want to be more cohesive. And Kevin Warren does have more of a football background. He started his own you know, agency representing players. He was involved in decisions in Detroit, um, football decisions in Detroit. So he is now bringing that and he is providing that kind of overarching, cohesive leadership for both sides of the organization. And when you put football first, I feel like you're going to start seeing dividends pay out on the field when you're making sure that all of your resources are going to making this a really, really good team. And he seems to be on the same page with Ryan Poles and, and Matt Eberflus. Carmen, I have one quick follow-up on that. And I think it's it's really interesting to hear your experience as a team employee talk about that structure. Uh, with your role as an NFC North reporter and getting access to other teams and knowing that Kevin Warren has had experience with Minnesota and Detroit, have any of those, like, you know, maybe your contacts with other teams, have they kind of commented and said anything? Like, what are their thoughts on the hiring? Yeah, I've talked to multiple people about Kevin Warren, actually. A good friend of mine, Ironically enough, not at an NFC North team, but down in Tampa had come from the Vikings and she worked directly under Kevin Warren as they were building U.S. Bank Stadium in their legal department. She was she texted me immediately as soon as the Bears hired Kevin Warren. She was so just like so enthusiastic about the hiring. And she said that you couldn't have hired a better human and that he really does care. And if he has one fault, it's that he cares too much and he wants everyone to feel a part of the family and he wants everybody to feel involved in the decisions and all of that kind of stuff, which isn't always attainable. But I mean, I think it's really, really good that you try and you make everyone feel like they're all working towards one common goal because the most cohesive organizations, I feel, are the most successful ones. Herman, circling back for a minute to the stadium build, do you see Arlington Park as an inevitability? And if so, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the hiring of Kevin Warren kind of signaled that this is exactly what the organization is trying to do. And I mean, he, in so many words, said that they didn't come right out and say, you know, we're going to Arlington Park, definitely. But I mean, Kevin Warren did set a target date of starting everything, the process over there in April. Um, And I think it's a good thing for the franchise, as much as I don't want to see them leave Soldier Field, just because I grew up a Bears fan, I grew up outside the city. I don't know what the bears are like outside of the city of Chicago. I now live in the city and it's made it really easy selfishly for me to get to games uh, being so close. And, but I don't think that it takes away from the founding principles of the franchise in any way, if they're not located within the city limits. I mean, there's plenty of teams that represent cities that they're not actually in, you know, they're out in some, in a suburb like this would be. And again, this would, 
be a better revenue stream for the Bears. They would own their stadium and it would be a, a boost for Arlington Heights too, because you're going to get all of that game day revenue from all of the businesses that are going to pop up um, around the park and then or around the stadium and then just the surrounding area. And hopefully uh, with the leadership of Kevin Warren, all of that money and revenue will be funneled back into the team to put a better product on the field. So we want to talk, sorry, uh, quick technical difficulty there. Sorry, we, we want to talk uh, uh, football. We want to talk the Bears. I know there, there's so much we could talk with the stadium, but I think the question that that is on most people's minds that are not Bears fans is what's with the faith in Justin Fields? You know, I mean, Bears fans know we've seen it, we've watched it. Um, so, Carmen, I, I mean, I want to know what are your thoughts? Is Justin Fields the guy moving forward? And do the Bears believe that he is the guy? I think the Bears believe that he is the guy. And I think at this point, they have to. Um, you're not going to invest more resources in that position right now. And it's essentially, I feel like you have kind of an incomplete grade on him after this season, because obviously we know he's a fantastic, a very dynamic runner. And he's even said, though, that's not his goal. He doesn't want to rush for a thousand yards a season and nor should he as the quarterback. The passing game needs to get better. And I get the outside the Chicago doubts and I get the kind of skepticism around surrounding Justin Fields, because honestly, what has he shown you as a passer that gives you faith that he can be that quarterback of the future because in order to be that quarterback of the future you have to excel on both you know in both aspects you can't just be a runner you have to be a passer and I think that the Bears recognize though that they didn't surround him with the best talent at this point they were still you know they're undertaking a massive rebuild where they stripped the entire team down to the studs I think you need to evaluate him with a solid line that's not shuffling constantly with a number one receiver and some you know supplementary weapons and then you can get a full picture and a full scope on what he can do. And then combine him with a play caller who is maybe a little bit more comfortable calling plays now that he'll be in his second year and someone that is building a system around him, which I have every reason to believe. And, and Luke Getze has you know, told us so that he's building this system around Justin and what his strengths are. So we forget, I mean, Luke Getze is a first time play caller. So he was, he was making, you know, those first time errors and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like, it wasn't only that the players needed to get comfortable in the system, the coaches needed to be comfortable with the system too, because it was new for them too. So now that you're going into your second year, you still have to evaluate. And I implore Bears fans and you know anybody who's watching this team is just be more patient. And I think after next season, if you still don't see anything out of Justin, then you're going to have to start evaluating your options. But right now, I mean, everything is just, they have to invest in him to see what they really have. Carmen, 300 over or under how many mock drafts have you completed? Oh God. Brendan's a uh, big Brendan's a big mock draft guy. He No, I'm not. I'm not. It's his favorite I, thing I, in the world. He I'm loves them. So... He can't get enough of them. No. Oh, I, I feel like there hasn't been enough this year. I mean on Twitter. I mean I haven't seen enough mock drafts. I I'm hoping that it is because I'm with you. Listen, I I have I've only done one this season so far, this off season so far. Uh we did one as the regular season ended. Me and uh, Dave Hellman over at Fox Sports as well. We did one together. We're going to continue to do those, but I think we've pushed back enough to say like, all right, let's wait for the Super Bowl to pan out and then we can start kind of doing them with some regularity. But in my career, I've probably done, I've done hundreds for sure. And I don't think that there's, I remember trying to explain what a mock draft was to my mother who doesn't really follow sports. (laughs) 
And when you try to explain something like that to someone who doesn't follow sports, they're like, so you're just guessing like over and over and like you're guessing and people are want to know what your guesses are. And I'm like, I don't get it either. And it's <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> absolutely insane. It's really funny too. I mean, I had a brief stint with the draft network after I left Tampa Bay and I was, my main goal with mock drafts is to be accurate. I want to tell you what the league is thinking, how the league sees these guys, what teams are interested in what players. And like, I source all of, like, I don't watch a ton of tape. Um, I just ask my contacts like scouts and in personnel and like coaches, even I'm like, all right, who are you watching? Why are you watching them? And then I'll go and I'll watch some of that stuff, but I'm not like, sitting there grinding out like 200 prospects myself. Cause I'm like, no one cares what I think about these guys. They care what the scouts and the coaches and all, you know, even fellow players think about them and what the league is actually going to do, what these teams are actually going to do. So in a little bit of a humble brag, I was really proud of myself. My last mock draft of the season last year, right before the draft, uh, I, and there's mock draftable, which kind of rates them all and, you know, for accuracy and everything. I was on par with Daniel Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah and I scored the same amount of points nice. for our mock draft. Well <laughs> done. Like, great. And this was literally just me asking around what these guys, you know, what the league thinks of these guys. And hey, some, sometimes that works. So Carmen, if I could ask, who are maybe one or two guys that uh, your contacts are talking about that maybe fans or people doing mock drafts aren't really paying enough attention to? I can tell you that Keely Ringo is a guy that I have heard is a lot higher than most people think, uh, like up, up people's draft boards. Like, obviously, he's still a first rounder in all these mock drafts and stuff, but I've seen him kind of at the bottom third of a lot of mock drafts. And I have a couple of guys that have told me now nah, he could he could sneak into the top half of the first round um, and, and they they're really high on him um, as, as far as I mean. You've got like the I'm really trying to like hone in on like NFC North guys, too. And obviously with the Bears having the first pick, that's been the biggest thing uh, is for me to try and figure out which which guys the Bears are going to go after or what makes sense for them. Uh, I'm actually going to be exploring kind of how far down it makes sense for them to trade this week. Mm -hmm. And if it makes sense for them to just go down a couple spots so they can get Jalen Carter and Will Anderson or if, you know, it makes sense to maximize your picks because you have so many holes and go and get a guy, you could still end up with a guy like Peter Skaronsky, who's another one where I've talked to multiple O-line coaches that just love him, which makes my heart very happy. My little yeah. Northwestern grad heart, uh, very happy. And he has all the tools. He just couldn't protect his quarterback by himself at Northwestern. So, <laughs> but he, he has all the intangibles. He's a, I, I was very excited to confirm that people really love him. So I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but we've got a, a listener question that's just too good to pass up. So TJ Brooks okay. wants to know, Carmen, which free agent do you think the Bears pursue first or should pursue first this offseason? Oh, God, that's so tricky. They Again, we just talked about there's so many holes that these guys can fill. And I do think that I was talking about this before. Um, so Matty Eberflus' defenses are predicated on two main positions, right, the, to make it go. It's that three technique and it's a, a weak side linebacker. And so I feel like you kind of want a veteran guy in there. So I feel like free agency is a really great opportunity. So maybe I'll change the question just to 
what positions I feel like they should go after in free agency. Absolutely. Like, the, like, the other thing too is I don't know that free agency means a whole lot because you see all these guys get traded and like guys that you didn't know were available become available. So I feel like the top priority in free agency or among the veteran market should be for a three tag, maybe for a weak side linebacker. But also, and this is something I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but as a center, um, I think we've got a couple of good offensive linemen coming out in the draft that, you know, and, and centers in particular, but I would lean more towards someone who's much more experienced and can help Justin Fields in his progression as he gets better and in his development, because the center quarterback relationship is one that I really love talking about and, and talking to guys about because the way that those two play off of each other is so integral in an offensive success that I don't feel like a lot of people understand just how integral it is. And if you have a veteran center who knows what to look for, who knows what checks to make, that, that can take a huge load off of Justin Fields' shoulders. And I think that that's what the Bears were trying to do in getting Lucas Patrick, but obviously that never materialized. And so I would go out and get you, if Lucas Patrick is the guy, maybe, but even a guy that has maybe more experience than that, just to take as much as you can off of Justin Fields as he tries to develop as a passer. What if we created a situation in which you had to stay with the number one pick, Carmen? You couldn't trade it down. Who would you who would you pick and why? Uh, is it cheating to take a quarterback so I could trade it later? <laughs> it's your no, it's your world. It's Carmen's world. Yeah, we're just living it. It's Carmen's world. You're just living we it. We are gonna use that as clickbait though to say Carmen Vitale would take a quarterback. <laughs> would, take, would, take a, would take a quarterback to trade it. Yeah, do Carmen, why don't you believe in Justin Fields? We, we don't you... <laughs> I know, I can see the headlines now. No. Uh no, it would be taking a quarterback with the sole purpose of trading him uh for more picks. But that being that barring that, I would still go uh Will Anderson just because I feel like an edge rusher. I I hesitate. I walk this line of uh, positional value being a myth and then also kind of subscribing to it. So like a guy like Jalen Carter, who again is that three tech that matter Eberflus's defenses need. Um, I just feel I can't I can't imagine taking an interior defensive tackle at number one overall as good as Jalen Carter is. Don't get me wrong. He's very athletic and he's exactly what you would need. But Edge rusher, I feel a little bit better about, so I'd probably end up really with Will Anderson if you're not allowing me any sort of, you know, tomfoolery. One thing we haven't really talked about yet is the coaching staff. And uh, the last week or so, there's been a lot of reports that the Bears are starting to put in requests for interviews. I know the defensive backs coach from Green Bay um, was on that list. And then same thing with former Bear Chris Harris, although he is now – the defensive coordinator, I think for the Titans, but um, in your opinion, what are your thoughts on some of these, maybe like looking at defensive backs coaches and do you see any more shakeup coming with the coaching staff? Because Matt Eberflus kind of alluded it could happen during his year on presser, but we haven't seen anything materialize yet. Yeah. It's again, one of those things where you're starting from the ground up. So I feel like this past year was an evaluation year and that doesn't just go for players that goes for your coaching staff. And I think that there might be some tweaks to be made based on the personnel that you know that you want to build around now. Because I feel like, especially in that defensive backfield, you know, you have Kyler Gordon, you have Jaquan Brisker, your two draft, top, draft, top draft picks from last year, who really did wonders for your, and it's some, there are two guys that you can start to build around. So 
does he do they work with the current staff is there someone else out there that can get more from them i mean there's also a lot of creative ways to add to the staff without subtracting too you can add guys as defensive analysts you can or you know whatever you want to call them but they're just kind of extra coaches and that's really at the discretion of ownership um there's no salary cap for coaches so like when i was with the bucks we had i think the second biggest coaching staff in the league when I was there second to Miami. And that was right after McDaniel had come in. So before that, the biggest coaching staff. And yeah, I mean, there were multiple defensive assistants, offensive assistants, there were assistant position coaches, um, analysts, and and just kind of overall mentors. We had Tom Moore, who was 83 years young and was a mentor to Bruce Arians on staff. He's still on staff. So uh, Tom Moore still on staff. Oh yeah. He was an absolute, I got to be on the golf course one day with Tom Moore and that was just the, one of the most fun days I had working for the Buccaneers because he is a riot of a human. Oh my gosh. I just, I do remember him, you know, from like the Peyton Manning days with the Colts. And even then I thought I was like, man, this guy's, he's been around for a long time. I can't believe 2023 still coaching unreal. That's awesome. So Carmen, sticking with the the staff that they currently have employed, uh, we didn't get the results that we wanted as Bears fans this year, but the team had a lot of fight in them throughout the season. Overall, what's your assessment of the coaching staff? I don't know if you do grades, but if you did, what what kind of grade would you give this coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, they're all going to say that they failed to meet expectations and that you know they were going for the win, winning a winning season. They they were they were going to be competitive this year, and the thing is, they were. I mean, they had quite a few one-score games that they ended up losing. They were just on the wrong side of. And I think that what you just said is the biggest testament to who they are as a staff in that these guys never gave up fighting. You didn't see them kind of like pull back at all towards the end of the season after they didn't have anything to play for. Um, I remember a friend of mine on who's on the coaching staff in Chicago, he came from Jacksonville. and He was under Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. And um, he was comparing and contrasting. And he was like, obviously, that was a very low bar. Things were miserable in Jacksonville. He's like, the stories I could tell you. And I was like, ooh, please. <laughs> um, but then he was like, contrast it to coming to Chicago. He's like, I couldn't be happier. Matt is a guy, like, he's, he's known Matt for a while. And he's like, he's a guy that guys will want to play for. Players want to play for him. He's the player's coach. He doesn't give us a ton in the media, as you guys know. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he is not animated and he is not galvanizing these guys inside the locker room, you know, in the, behind the doors that we don't get mm-hmm. to go behind. And I heard that statement echoed through a bunch of people that have known him, players and coaches. So I am really excited about it. I think, again, it's kind of a young group to have a first time head coach and a first time offensive coordinator um, to be calling plays and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, there were going to be some bumps in the road, but. I guess if I was going to give it a grade, it would probably be about a C plus, but like trending upward. Like I'm giving you extra credit to like boost your score. Um, and and you can kind of like, I, I know that you're going to end up being okay. So I, I'm excited. I'm, I really am. And I think he's right on the same page of Brian Poles, which is something you really look forward to in a head coach. Do you think that we will see a bidding war between Indy and Houston for our number one pick? I hope so. Um, I think that that is something. And I mean, honestly, if it ends up being Houston, I would pull like a double trade down and then trade down even a couple more spots. But it's going to depend on how sold 
they both are on probably the same prospect or at least how sold they think each other are on the same prospect. So if they both, you know, want Bryce Young, um, they're going to have to convince each other of that and then go up and get that first overall pick. I do think that the Colts end up being the trade partner. Um, that just makes so much sense to me, but you never know I mean, there are some other quarterback needy teams that are in the top 10. I mean, like guys like your teams like Carolina come to mind where I'm like, you would get a haul uh, if you were to just move down to the, you know, you're still in the top 10. I think they have the ninth spot, but I mean, you would get a haul and you wouldn't, you would still probably be able to get a really good player. So I hope you see a bidding war though. That would be just like the piece de resistance for Ryan Poles, which is like completely out, out of his control, but he proved that he likes to trade down this in his first draft. So I hope it continues. I've literally had dreams of a double trade down with the Texans <laughs> and the Colts. So uh, <laughs> please You're tell me that's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Car- Carmen, I've got a two-part question here. Um, the first one is, is it difficult to to cover a team like Green Bay when you grew up a Bears fan? I mean, obviously you're <laughs> you're, you're you're a professional and, you know, it's it's part of your your gig, but I mean, and also I mean, there's got to be a part of your heart that hurts a little bit when you're covering them, right? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's been a long time since I've been able to just be a fan, which sounds kind of is a little bit weird. But uh, to be fair, actually, the fir- the last game I was at as a fan, the last NFL game I was at as a fan was a Bears game. It was a Monday night football game against the Dallas Cowboys in 2013. It was like negative seven, like without the wind chill. It was, it was the game that they asked Matt Eberflus about prior to the Christmas Eve game. Um, against the Bills this year and Matt Eberflus was on the opposite sideline coaching for the Cowboys at the time and I'm like I remember that game too I was there as a fan that's the last time I got to be a fan Um, and so it kind of just becomes second nature to you to look at things as objectively as possible but I mean it took a little bit of getting used to and I don't you know I hate to report it to Bears fans but the Green Bay organization is a very very good one they're very well run. And obviously there's a ton of football tradition up there too. I really feel very fortunate to be able to cover all four of these teams because obviously um, this is where my bias comes in. I feel like is I just think the NFC North is the best division in football because it's so tradition rich and it's just that really physical rough and tumble black and blue brand of football that I grew up loving so much. And I, you know, the football purist in me absolutely adores and that's what this division embodies. And so it's really, really cool for me to be able to cover these four teams when I grew up watching them, you know, all my life. So I, it, my bias doesn't show necessarily for the Packers and all that other stuff, but it does show when like you pit the NFC North against like other divisions. Like when I took the job, a ton of people were like, Oh yeah, it's going to be a fun division to cover this year. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And I'm really <laughs> excited about it. And it so, turned out to be a really good division to cover. Oh man, especially towards the end there with all of that. So, so Carmen, then I want to ask: It is the way too early, the crazy, like how dare he even ask this question? How do you see the NFC North playing out next season? Yeah, that I've, I've, you're not the first person to ask already, actually. And I'm like, can we let the season breathe for <laughs> a second and see what these teams do in the off season? Um, but that being said, I mean. I feel like it's going to be extremely competitive because while Minnesota obviously still has a ways to go, their staff and everybody is acting like it. They realize that they need to make improvements. They obviously fired a Donatel 
their defensive coordinator. So they're bringing in some new blood there. They were not satisfied with what they got out of their defense this year. So if they solidify that side of the ball, I mean, you've got Kirk Cousins who had a top three season, you know, in his career this past year, and he's only more comfortable and it seems to be thriving under this brand of the offense that he's not unfamiliar with, but that Kevin O'Connell is deploying with Justin Jefferson. So I really feel like they're going to be right back where they were. Uh, I think they're going to get a run for their money from Detroit though, too. And if Green Bay can figure out this, all of this Aaron Rodgers situation. And again, the one thing about the Packers that I'm scared of for them is that they're trying to do the same things and they're going to expect different results. Like Matt, LaFleur said that he doesn't anticipate any staff changes. I mean, you have seven first-round picks when Rashawn Gary was healthy on your defense. And that defense severely underperformed and was not reliable to keep these guys in games. And while the offense was kind of struggling and stuff with all of the new guys. So I think that there needs to be changes made. But if Green Bay does that, they're going to be right back up there too. They're used to winning. And I do think I do foresee a better season for the bears, but I don't know that it's going to come in the form of a division win um, or even a wild card berth quite yet. I think we need to wait two years out for that, but I do, I do think that there will be very close to a winning season or they'll hover kind of around 500, which would be a great sign. Folks, we just want to say thank you to Carmen Vitali for being a part of this. If you want to get Carmen, if for some crazy reason, if you're not following her on Twitter at Carmi V, <laughs> but CHGO, Fox Sports, uh, the sick podcast with Adam Rank, which I have to say thank you. He was not thrilled with the fact that I was poaching you like while we were in <laughs> the interview, but I was, we, we had to get you on the show. And so, Carmen, thank you so very much for for giving your time tonight. Truly, truly appreciate you. Well, I really appreciate you guys for having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a great night, Carmen. Thank you so much. You too. Bye, guys. Take care. Uh, So our tradition of phenomenal guests continues. How awesome was Carmen? That was great. I totally forgot that she actually worked for the Bucks, and just hearing her talk about some of those stories, like, oh yeah, I was here for this and this. And I'm like, oh, I really want to pull on that thread and just learn more about just all the experiences, Um, just a wealth of knowledge and a great person. So that was, uh, that was really fun. She's a good uh, listen on, on ranks show. Anytime you flip that on uh, and listen to the two of them host together, they're pros, very informational. Uh, I just I think that they're uh, they're pros in the job. They do a really nice job. She won't she won't talk about it, but she graduated from North freaking Western, right? Like obviously she knows her stuff. She's crazy smart and just 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 awesome. Very accessible too. So uh, Carmen, for some reason, if you're still listening, you are freaking awesome, and, and we're just so thankful, boys. We got a little bit of news here, not necessarily related to the podcast, but kind of very much related to the podcast. Are you thinking about buying a home? Well, you know, you're going to see our guy, Jeff Cadwalder, because he is the freaking best. You love him. He's a wonderful guy. Big news for him. He's moving on. He's he's going to a new company and we're we're just excited about it. I mean, I have to say this like this is totally off script. Um 
Jeff has been our long, longest standing sponsor and has been with us since this thing's inception. We were talking like, hey, you know, we're going to start a new podcast. His response was, how can I support? What can I do? You know, and so we're we're truly, truly thankful for him. So, folks, if you are thinking about buying or selling a home, if when you have questions about real estate, Jeff Cadwalder, now with EXP Realty, has your answers. Whether you're buying, selling, or just wondering which improvements to make around the house, Jeff's there to make the best decisions for your future. That last one, pretty much every time I'm thinking about doing some kind of a home-like thing, I, the first person I call is, is, is Hefe. Just 15 years of experience have been featured in Chicago Magazine and even Forbes because of his commitment to his clients. To connect with Jeff, call or text him directly at 630-254-4734. Let's get a haircut, everybody. Sheridan's Barbershop, located in historic downtown Wheaton, Illinois, has been serving the community for 68 years with six barbers. They are open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. They have appointments available to you. You can book them online or you can go on the phone. You can go to sheridansbarbershop.com or you can go to 630-668-0137 and book yours today. Sheridan's Barbershop, more traditional meets modern. I usually put up the screen that Sheridan so no one can see Jack, but I didn't do that this time. So they got fully <laughs> fully animated Jack, which makes it that much better. All right. So so boys, uh let's let's put a quick pause on the Bears. I, I do want to talk about the the Warren hire. I I want to talk I mean, I know we talked a lot about Arlington Heights and that sort of stuff, the coaching staff, all that, but I do really want to quick want to talk playoffs your favorite playoff game thus far through through the whole thing whether that be wild card weekend the divisional rounds whatever it might be maybe something that stood out to you about the playoffs like any one of those games um whether it be the good or the bad doesn't matter so let's go uh patrick sheldon brendan chagru and jack wright that's a really good question uh i'll i'll say this i've been kind of I don't want to say disappointed, but a little bit underwhelmed in the playoffs this year. I was hoping that there'd be some better games, um, some matchups I thought were going to be a lot better, more exciting, and didn't pan out that way. Um, so I will stick with the Vikings getting eliminated in the first round. I was very happy to see that. I don't like the Vikings that much. Uh, and as much as the Giants kind of annoy me, um, I was glad to see them bounce bounce the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, we were really spoiled last year, divisional weekend. I was thinking about that. Like all four games, I think, went into overtime. And then, of course, we ended on the Bills Chiefs, just instant classic. classic. And then this past weekend was just kind of meh. But I I was trying to think. Um, I think Vikings and Giants for me, too, because it was a close game. But it was also until Kirk Cousins went full Kirk Cousins. It was actually like two pretty good offenses systematically and methodically moving the ball down the field. It was kind of fun to watch. Um, and it didn't drone on for five hours like the Bills and Dolphins game. And then the other thing I'll mention is just the dominant line play. Like you really notice the good playoff teams and just they're winning the battle in the trenches. It sounds cliche because I know everybody says it always starts at front, but it really does start up front. I mean, seeing Jason Kelsey just murder guy <laughs> on Saturday and just open up wide holes for the Eagles rushing offense. I mean, you look at all the teams and just how they're able to move the ball. They're getting dominant line play, and that's that's what the Bears need. So I was really fixated on that. 
Super wild card weekend was super wild. I mean, last weekend delivered in every way, shape, and form. And so while I thought the games this past weekend were, were good, it was going to be pretty tough to live up to the, the like previous week. I mean, just the, just Jacksonville and, and the Chargers was... I mean, you can't really get more exciting than that in terms of watching a game, uh, in terms of ebbs and flows. And, and so... For me, that was the game because I was my mind was just blown by the way that, that that turned out in the end. I couldn't believe it. I I can't believe Cincinnati just ran over Buffalo. I mean, they just they they beat him up. Like and Josh Allen did not look good. Uh, you know that 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 really kind of surprised me. So TJ Brooks is talking about the Jags versus Chargers game. Um Heidi Zimmerman is with us as well. She's saying wild card weekend was pretty good. TJ, I don't understand this one. Monday was like putting ketchup on a hot dog. Why 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 you got to why you got to start stuff? We really we're we're doing great. It was right. delicious? <laughs> no, hey, no. Hey, do, do we dangle? Oh, go ahead. I, I got to ask you, uh, going back to the Vikings Giants game, did that performance by the Giants take any of the kind of the shine off of the day ball season for you? Wait, are you talking? I'm sorry. Did you say div- divisional against the Eagles or did you say against the Vikings? No, no. I was just saying go back to the Giants because we were talking about the game. The the performance against the Eagles. Sorry, I should have been clear. Yeah, yeah. No, because that was performance. Well, I was going to say it didn't in, you know, when they played the Vikings, uh, I, I was really impressed. Daniel Jones was was incredible. It shows the Vikings how terrible that defense is. But yeah, I, I think, again, I think we've talked about it ad nauseum that that is a team that is devoid of talent. And like the Eagles roster versus the Giants roster. Come on, man. How how many how many guys are are starting caliber on that Giants defense? You know, do you know what I'm saying? That would be on the Eagles team. I, I don't think it's that many. Uh, and I think if the Chicago Bears made it to the divisional round and got smacked around by, I don't know, the Detroit Lions or something. Oh. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that part would sting, but I also would say to go from one of the worst teams in football to to making it to visual round, I I think I'd be pretty happy about that. Yeah, I I don't know, guys. I'm just I would not want to be a Giants fan right now because you're in such quarterback limbo. I Daniel Jones, I just don't think is the guy. I feel like they're a lot like the Bears were with Mitch, where you're like, yeah, they had a nice little season, but. I don't really believe in this guy long term, but he kind of played enough uh, well enough that we may have to stick with him next year. And I just feel like they're in a little bit of no man's land with their quarterback going forward. And I I wouldn't want to be in that situation because we've been there enough. That's that's kind of what I was thinking, too. And uh, our guy, Ill Will, said something like, oh, they're the Giants are about to be in hell or purgatory because they, they didn't bottom out. And I don't think that's totally going to be the case, depending on what they do with Daniel Jones, because, yeah, that limbo situation, if you commit to him now, even for like a bridge year or two, you're then using that window with Daniel Jones. Is that actually going to be you know worth it or should you actually try to find a new quarterback to take you from that next step? Because you've pretty much I feel like you maxed out with Daniel Jones at this point. But uh, the only other thing I was going to bring up was do we need to talk about Brett Maher for a minute? Because the last week was unbelievable. Cody Parkey is the happiest human being alive. He's not going to be talked about for a really long time. I mean, other I, than right now. Yeah, exactly. That I just did. 
But he like actually like forgot <laughs> forgot how to kick. And that that first extra point that was not going in, even if it wasn't yeah. blocked, that looked ugly. It's hard to watch something like that, you know. I mean it's go it's, it's in the wayback machine when they talk about Chuck Knobloch not being able to throw to first base. I mean, I know we have various, you know, demographics, but it was surreal to watch a professional athlete field a ball at second base and quite literally not be able to throw it. What? How many feet? Shells? 20? Yeah. Steve Sachs. It was Steve. It's called Steve Sachs disease before Knobloch. Right. And um, it would just go sailing. Yeah. Amazing. Just... Melt down between the ears like that. You do feel for them, but also it's, is, it's funny a little bit. I don't, yeah. I, Jerry, Rick I, Dallas. That moved to the outfield. <laughs> I, I don't like Dallas. I don't know why they're, they're um, still America's team. Jerry Jones is, is an idiot. I don't know how else to say it. I, 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 I relished in that. I, I, I liked watching Dallas lose in, in embarrassing fashion. I feel bad for Dak Prescott. I like Dak Prescott. I think given the right situation, he could be a, a much better quarterback, but he plays for one of the most dysfunctional franchises that just spends money in all the wrong ways, but they do spend the money. So they have good players and man, I, don't, I don't know. No, thank you. All right. So boys, let's, let's change it up here a little bit. Let's, let's get back to, to bears talk. The Kevin Warren hire. Um, I really, I don't know a lot. And I actually reached out to a couple of people on Twitter because I, I just don't know enough. Obviously what Carmen had to say was, was pretty cool. What are you guys thinking about this, this hire? Um, and I think the other, the part of this question is, is he going to be around for the long haul? It seems to be that the rumor right now is that he is really gunning for uh commissioner of the NFL, is Roger Goodell leaving at any time? You know, does that really matter if we get him for five, six, seven years? How do you guys feel about it? So let's same order. So let's go Sheldon, Brendan, Jack, and I'll finish it up. Yeah, I, I think I said it when they were interviewing him. I'm not going to pretend to know a whole lot about Kevin Warren, but all the reports have been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, the one thing I liked hearing, and I can't remember who it was, um, it may have been somebody on the score said that they really do think, oh, I think it was Hogue. I think he said he really does believe that that Poles and Warren are kind of in lockstep and on the same page and that Ryan Poles really does welcome the opportunity to have somebody come in and, and provide sort of another layer, well, not layer, but another level of, of um, insight. Uh, so I that was the biggest concern for me, if you remember from a few weeks ago, was just how is that going to how are they going to get along? Are they going to see eye to eye? Is he going to Ryan Pohl's going to feel that this is sort of encroaching on his territory? And it doesn't seem to be the case from initial reports. So that to me is overwhelmingly positive. If he leaves after six or seven years to become a, a commissioner, I kind of look at it the same way I do if our offensive coordinator leaves after a few years. It's probably because he was wildly successful here. So um, if we get five or six, seven years of a, a wildly successful team president tenure, that should set them up, you know, going forward. They they should have a nice little base to uh, to build upon. So I wouldn't be too concerned about him wanting to jump ship. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. But all signs point to being a pretty positive hire. I'm very happy. I've been happy since the reports came out and I I knew of Kevin Warren and I've known some of the stuff he's done, but just kind of going in in depth more of what he's done with the teams and, you know, hearing him talk about his experience with the Rams, then of course the Vikings and overseeing the stadium project and even Detroit. I mean, 
you talk about a guy who has so much experience in various areas. And then of course the big 10, like he's done it all. He's seen it all. And now he's taken over the charter franchise of the NFL with just headphones fell out. Whoops. (laughs) I got so excited. I was like, you know, talking with my hands, but um, yeah, just a guy who's seen it all. And the fact that I love that he came to a bears game. He just went like incognito, going to Soldier Field, wanted to see what the whole fan experience was like. And I kind of wanted him to rip it too, in a sense. Like, Jesus Christ, we really need a new a new home for these guys, huh? But um, yeah, just his the answers were so thorough. Um, I think my two biggest takeaways from his press conference specifically were that one, he's made up with Justin Fields and the whole Big Ten situation where they canceled. They almost canceled the season because of COVID. And yes, that was a misstep, but it was kind of an unprecedented time. And that he's like, I really appreciate that Justin Fields actually kind of led this, not revolt, but this uh, movement to try and play games because that's how much of a competitor he was. And then I don't know if you guys heard the story during his um, press conference about him being in a body cast for like a whole year. No, no. So he, I can't, I'm going to get the details wrong, so I'm not going to try to do it, but he essentially had some sort of accident where he had to be placed in a body cast for a whole year. There was, he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to walk again. It was just sort of, it, it was unreal listening to it and how he has a whole new perspective on life. This was when he was a kid and just hearing that, like I've been through hardships and I, I know what I want to do. And I, you know, just having those past experiences really made me who the man I am today. And you just kind of take a step back. Like, man, this guy has gone through so much and he's led, you know, just the, at the top of the sports mountaintop. And, um, one thing he didn't talk about, but I thought was just scary. Like as big 10 commissioner, he was getting death threats every day. He didn't drive to work because of just some of the the vitriol over potentially canceling a few games of the Big Ten season and just the the life that this guy has lived. I, I'm so, I, I don't really have the words, but I, I'm just very impressed and so um, excited for what he's going to do because this guy has lived a life and I, he knows what he wants to do with it. And I I'm, I'm think he's going to do great things for the Bears. When the Cubs hired Theo Epstein, I listened to the interview on the way home after work and was so incredibly jealous that he wasn't the White Sox, you know, wasn't with the White Sox because you could just tell listening to him that he absolutely was in charge of the situation and knew the direction of the team. And I think I had a very similar sentiment in listening to Warren when, you know, his press conference went down, like just the authenticity and his, you know, he's very communicative and, so I, I, as a means to not uh, repeat some of what you all said, because I do agree with those things. The, the one thing that really kind of came to mind for me this past week was in listening to Waddle and Sylvie interview longtime Philadelphia Eagles president, whose name I can't remember, but he took him through the Super Bowl. They were just talking a little bit of, to him about what you know Warren's responsibilities would be. And one thing that struck me was that there was a discussion of Andy Reid and the team president and some of the other, you know, um, executives um, meeting with, uh, you know, Jeffrey Lurie, the, the team president. And he said that in those meetings, one of the things that, that Lurie would do is would he would challenge them, you know, the, the owner. He 
and not in a way that was divisive or, or anything, but you could just tell that that as a group, there was a, this cohesiveness and that they were challenging and pushing one another to make the organization as good as it could possibly be. And I, and I don't want to be a wet blanket here, but the one thing I've been thinking to myself, like from the draft to the new hires, to the stadium build, to Warren, I wonder what three or four years down the road we're going to look back on and go, huh, we were so excited about that. But my point of this is just to say like, George McCaskey, you know, is still George McCaskey. And does does George McCaskey allow for that same type of, you know, uh, positive pressure to be put on this this organization in a way that builds it to make it stronger? I mean, he great guy. I sat in the stands with him at a high school football game and chatted him up with my family. And he officiates soccer games and he officiates baseball games. And there's no doubting, dude is a great dude. But he, if we have anything, we have a myriad of reasons to be concerned. That we still have poor leadership all the way at the top when it comes to ownership, and and again maybe this is a stretch. Maybe I'm I'm not trying to just be negative for the sake of being negative, but it just struck me listening to this interview that perhaps we still have a weak link, and that's ownership. Um, maybe they'll be good despite you know weak ownership. Jack, can you tell me who hurt you? Who hurt me? I am mostly extremely positive. I feel like they finally got it right. I've been on the record for saying that. I, I mean, almost all good in terms of the way things are going. I'm, I'm very excited about the future of the Bears. That just struck me. I just thought, do we have an owner that can sit in a meeting, you know, with the, with the key players and ask those types of tough questions and put the organization on track in a way like the Philadelphia Eagles or like the Patriots or some of the greatest organizations? I think he does that though by getting out of the way and it may yeah. not be the same formula as the Eagles use, but I think, I think for this to work, he's got to remove himself from the chain, right? He has to, Warren he has the, the weakest link. Yeah. Right. He, he mm-hmm. has to power down to Warren and those guys and say, this is why I hired you. Cause I don't know a football from a, a soccer ball. Right. <laughs> and like, I right. need to, I need to let you guys handle that. And I think, there's been a lot of talk on the radio about George's uh, involvement as an owner um, over the last few years. And maybe he's starting to come into his own and realize, like, I don't know what I'm doing and I need to get out of the, out of their way. So I think that's how it's going to have to happen. Because I agree with you. If he's sitting in the meetings, like, giving those guys a rah-rah speech, trying to get them fired up, like, it's just going to come across as kind of hokey and, uh, you know. And, and real quickly to add to that point, I mean, I think George really did start to make changes last year when he hired Ryan Poles and then said, you're not going to report to Ted anymore because we know Ted is just a ham sandwich at this point. You're going to report to me, even if I don't have all of the information. But then that also led to this with getting Kevin Warren and doing a far wide search, which it sounds like I think Yurko even said they were looking at NBA executives. And so just all over the place, trying to get the right person for the right job. And now you have somebody who's outside of the family, who's outside of the organization. It's the first time a team president has actually been brought in outside of the Bears. That alone is huge. And I know it had to have taken some, you know, swallowing of the pride to be like, okay, we need somebody from the outside to fix this because we don't have the people in house to do it. So that alone, I understand your your concern, Jack. And I like 
believe me, we've been hurt for so many years, but that sort of changing in the guard gives me hope. Hmm. All right, boys, anything else that you guys want to cover before we get to Jack's question? I just uh, thought that there was some interesting developments with, with the stadium, like the, you know, the, the NBC report with, you know, Ted Phillips trying to, you know, send emails to the park district uh, and that just incredibly tenuous relationship that existed between the park district and, um, you know, the Chicago bears. And, and it just kind of occurred to me, it's like, well, do you want to own or do you want to rent? Do you want to have a middle person to go through if you want new seats in the stadium or you want to do new grass, you know, that maybe doesn't come up in huge chunks? And so like a little part of me thought, well, OK, maybe that was one of the tipping points for them. Um, and then the other thing that I thought was really interesting was uh, I think one of the two networks had had the guy who was in charge of the Vikings build. And this is just a little bit of a separate thought because I, I still am not quite sure what they're going to do. I'm not sure about the inevitability of it because I do think it's some measure it's a it's a money decision. And so the the, the Vikings coordinator, uh, building coordinator, architect firm was saying they had five spots in the suburbs that the Vikings were looking at potentially building in. And it was a last minute deal that brought them back into the heart of the city to build the stadium and it was because there was an like an incredible discount right so if you look at like you know i mentioned to ryan before the show if the bears have to pay that 80 plus million dollars of a fee to break the contract plus if you add some money because now they're using an existing structure who i know nobody likes that but if they stay and they use the existing structure that saves them money if chicago goes forward with all this you know, elaborate new um, transportation hub plans and this entertainment center that, you know, they sent out via, you know, um, you know, Lori Lightfoot. If all of that happens, is that something that might entice them back into the city? You know, so I, it, you know, money trumps everything, right? Follow the money. So I just wonder if, if, if it's a sure thing. Um, I hope it is. I, I think we'd be better off. The Niners are way outside of San Francisco. Dallas is way outside of Dallas. I mean, we, we've seen how it works, and it works pretty well. But again, I go back to my earlier point about who owns the team. And I wonder if it'll happen. Boys, any other thoughts on Bears football going forward, the offseason, or anything else before we get to Jack's question? I just can't wait for free agency to start so we can actually – get some of these mock drafts more cemented. I'm sorry. I just, I like, I, they're, they're fine. It's, it's just been crazy. It's only January <laughs> and I'm, I'm just inundated with mock drafts every day. And I know by saying this, people are just going to start sending me more mock drafts, yeah. but um, no, I'm, I'm really excited about just the, the off season movement. We're already starting to see things potentially like start to boil up. I mean, the Stefan Diggs stuff, not saying like that's going to be a, you know, oh, does he want out situation? But you, you, more players start to get frustrated, more things start to move. And who pretty much holds all the chips in the draft and free agency? Dub Bears. So that's it's exciting to just sort of start seeing that stuff come to fruition and start getting excited about potential trade targets, cut candidates, all of that. Yeah, real quick to piggyback off of that, 
one thing that could throw a monkey wrench into the Bears offseason plans, how many quarterbacks become available? Keep an eye on that. Um, Derek Carr, we know, is going to be available. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, is he going to be available? Uh, Kyler Murray, you know, they, they, we don't know if they bring in a new coach like a Sean Payton or somebody who wants to kind of do their own thing and go their own way. Um, could they make a Kyler Murray available in a trade? Tom uh, Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah, Tommy. I mean, there are quite a few quarterbacks that quarterback needy teams could look to. Now, you would hope that the teams that are going to look to possibly trade up to number one are looking for a long-term solution um, and want their young quarterback to grow with their head coach. But um, that could kind of throw, that could take some teams out of the market for a QB and, and devalue that number one overall pick. So um, hopefully those quarterbacks stay where they're at, but you may have a surprise here or there uh, and more become available than we thought. And then the other thing uh, I, I will I've reached the point of the offseason. I, I need there are two players I've fallen in love with, and I'll be absolutely devastated if they're not on the Bears. And they're both wide receivers, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Zay Flowers. I need one of them, at least one of them, on the Bears when it's all said and done. And if not, I'll be uh I'll be catatonic, guys. I'll be inconsolable. It'll it'll not be not, not be a good scene. I need that. I need I, I again, I've said it a hundred times. We watch these receivers go up and make plays. I think that was a touchdown by Jamar Chase, by the way. But just to see him go make that play, just to see these wide receivers go make these George Kittle, that unbelievable like tip to himself and then managed to catch it and duck out of the way of getting absolutely decapitated. I, I just I want somebody who is like a competent route runner and can go up and catch the ball, make a play and, and go, that wasn't the best thrown ball, but holy crap, that guy. That guy helped out his quarterback. Like, can I, I just want a guy to help out his quarterback. I want, and I want that guy to be on the Bears. And I want him to be a receiver of some sort. Am I, am I asking too much? No, no, no you're <sighs> not. It's a good thing the Bears drafted Adam Shaheen in the second round. Oh, <sighs> sorry, I'm, I'm not. He likes Chipotle. <laughs> All right, Jack, what do you got for us this week? Well, I mean, I'm going to keep it with football because I, I just we haven't gotten to talk football. You know, uh, we took our off week last week, and and today's conversation, I think, to a large extent, you know, on Waddle and Sylvie was about the future of the Bears, and so I, I'm curious, what what are your expectations long term? Are I, I heard someone say today we're not even in a window, like if you're talking about like a Bears window, you know what I mean, of being like great, like we're not in a window. So I mean. You, if I were going to play pessimist a little bit again, you can't you can't take care of linebacker, D line, O line, and wide receiver all in one off season, even with the capital and the picks and free agency that we have. So, <laughs> are we going to be disappointed next year? Uh, I mean, Carmen mentioned possibly catching a wild card or having a winning season. Uh, Ryan, Brendan shells what are your expectations yeah this is gonna be a bad football team again next season i do know we've all seen it before where teams can flip the script a little bit uh you know the the jaguars are obviously a, a team to look at a little bit some people would say that they sold their souls to to get uh christian kirk and some of those other things that they got which really isn't going to help them long term but made them look good this season uh, I just, what a great, not a, not a good, but a great wide receiver could do for Justin Fields' development moving forward, I think is 
I think that's really going to be the the tell is who do they get, you know, to protect him and who do they get for him to throw the ball down the field? The 2022 Jaguars are my ceiling for the Bears next year. And first off, I am just shocked at how many people are just like, that's not good enough. I'm like, what? You think this team's going to win 13 games next year and just automatically go on a Bengals run? Like, God, some people. I was just, I was so appalled with it. Yeah, they're definitely going to win 17. I agree with you, Brandon. Yeah, right? I mean, no, 16. (laughs) They're going to rest their guys in the last game. (laughs) Um, But... I think if you if the Bears can win nine games and then contend for a wild card spot, that's that's a win. Or in terms of like just you know success going into 2023 and beyond. You don't necessarily have to do it apples to apples like the Jaguars, where they spent a ton of capital on those skill position players. As long as you can spend got spend on guys that are going to help you in the immediate future, but then develop the guys for the long-term future that are going to really be your cornerstones. That's kind of what you want to see. Free agency is all about filling in those gaps and the bears do have a lot of gaps, but if you can fill in those gaps while building just like a foundation from the bottom of the top with some of these guys like Jaquan Brisker, Kyler Gordon on defense, fingers crossed Braxton Jones, and then obviously Justin Fields. And then, you know, Darnell Mooney, potentially Cole Komet on offense and then more guys through the draft. Like that's what you want to do. So that's that's kind of my ceiling for them. I could probably see them. I, I mean, it's it's cliche. I say it all the time. Like everybody picks their team to win like seven or eight games, but that's kind of where I see the ceiling for this team next year. But I do think it's attainable if they make some of those moves. Yeah, I I, I can't. Um, I don't know that I could put a record prediction out there or say like you know wild card or or. Winning record. It's just too early in the in the off season for me. But I'll say there are a couple things that I I want to see happen. And Brendan, you touched on it, and, and Dangle, you touched on it too. I don't want to see them um, sell their souls in free agency to have a modicum of success next year or the year after. I want them, like you said, Brendan, to build a foundation and to supplement through free agency. So um, as long as they continue to do that and build this thing the right way. And I, I can see that they're trending in the right direction. I can live with, uh, you know, maybe not the best results next year, but improvement next year. Uh, the other thing I'll say is I think the, the returning players, the hope is that they get better, right? The hope is that Braxton Jones gets stronger and gets better. Uh, the, the rookies on the defensive side get better. You get Darnell Mooney back and you get one stud player whether it's a receiver that can totally change that entire room where you've got a guy now that everybody has to focus on and pay attention to. And that's going to, that's going to lift those other players and make those other wide receivers better because of it. You get a stud left tackle. I think that's going to bolster the entire offensive line and help them out because now maybe you can um, uh, put players at, other positions like maybe you can slide Braxton Jones over to the right and you got Kev, uh, Tevin Jenkins to move in if he can stay healthy and Cody Whitehair and and if you can go get a center too like I just think like let's not underestimate the importance of getting a stud whether it's an offensive lineman a wide receiver or a defensive lineman and how much one stud can change the complexion of that unit uh so I I think I think they could have success next year. I, I I do think that 
because it's the NFL and parody is is so common, they there's no reason that they couldn't uh, make a run and, and be a 500 or better team or sneak into the playoffs. I think it's way too early to say that now without knowing who they're going to get in free agency and who they're going to draft and what the team's going to look like next year. But I mean, it, it, it seems to happen every year. So um, I'm not going to discount that as a possibility, but I do want to see them continuing to trend the right direction and build it the right way and not just try to have one or two successful seasons every 10 or 11. I want to see sustained success. I want to see them have a chance at the playoffs every year or make the playoffs every year because the only way you can win is to get into the tournament, right? Like we talked about in baseball, winning a World Series is super hard. If you make the playoffs every year, you give yourself a chance. Um, And even then it's still really hard, right? Like (laughs) it's even harder when you only make the playoffs once every eight or nine years (laughs) to win a Super Bowl. So that's what I want to see. The I think the Jags as a ceiling is a great barometer, Brendan. And I agree with you. People that are, say that's not good enough, it kind of picks up on what Shell says. Like we know from being you know Cubs or Sox fans, we don't want to hear from you on this, Shells. That all the planets have to align for you know a Chicago team to 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 get you know that level of success to to win a chip, a championship. So I do think Bears fans are going to have to temper their expectations a little bit, and and that's going to be ugly. I think we're going to see. I mean, we 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 just know. You know, I think I said somewhere, polls is already in a lose lose situation when it comes to Bears fandom. There's going to be no pragmatic approach to it. It's not going to be good enough, but it will probably be good enough to gain what you're talking about, shells. And I think probably, you know, our cooler heads will prevail and be like, okay, let's take a close look at this and see what types of moves were made. You know, barring the fact that anyone in this Zoom thinks that they're going to win 12 or 13 games. On the other side, a disappointing season would be to see very little uh, development with with fields, uh, the offensive line and the skill players. I, I think if the keys of the castle are held in the hands of a quarterback, which they are, there's no doubting that, then significant movement there. Uh, is going to be crucial and steps backwards will be extraordinarily disheartening that that will be a telltale sign of uh, of red flags in my opinion patience is going to be really difficult because (laughs) we 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 don't want to keep watching this team lose uh but at the same time you're right if you're going to build it the right way and it's not just a flash in the pan a la 2018, right? We want to see continued success. It's it's going to be tough. Uh, just really quick, Matt uh, with no last name said, uh, Thayer said this morning that they need an 83 Bears draft. It's the best Bears draft in, you know, in Bears history. Yeah, that, that, that sure would be That'd awesome. Be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, is well, Willie Willie Galt? I wonder, was Willie Galt an 83? I don't know. Which is, can we get a, can we get a speedster like that guy? He was good. Yeah. I don't want a speedster. I don't oh, I want a route oh, runner. No, I want a I route runner and a, I, and a guy that can catch. Hey, yeah, I we we want it all. We want a guy that can do yeah. can do all of that stuff. Yeah. And Sheldon, just, on that, we totally agree with each other. <laughs> Last thing I'll say, just you brought up like the patience factor. Buffalo Bills fans are starting to lose their minds. Like they have a generational quarterback. They've built a very good team. And they've made, you know, they've won playoff games the la- each of the last three years. And now they're starting to, their patience is wearing thing. There's a lot of 90s scar tissue, though. With that there is. Yes. And it, it, it's hard not to, like, I felt it <sighs> yesterday. It's hard not to 
I mean, growing up in New York, right? We I saw a lot of Bills games and Bills failures. It's hard not to go back to that point mentally as a Bills fan and go, we got that. a quarterback, we got the wide receiver, we we got a stud, and we just can't get over the hump. Like that's demoralizing. Were they missing Brian Dable that much? Or what <laughs> I didn't see enough Ken Dorsey Brian freak outs for my liking. Love. It's a little but okay, but just okay, really quick because we got to get the shout outs, we got to get out of here. But I just right. the, the the fact is that what he did was bring down the turnovers for for uh, his quarterbacks. I mean, for for both of them. And so I, Josh Allen looked bad. He did not look good. He was right. rattled, and since he played incredibly well, but. I don't know, man. It might have been missing his guy. All right, boys, it's time to get out of here. We we have talked a lot. Uh, folks, just as a programming note, just really quick, we're going to be a little bit more sporadic here in the offseason. We'll try to do our best to keep you apprised of the situation, what's going on on Twitter and all of those things. Uh, but next week, uh, we're just – it's there's a playoff game going on a Sunday night, which is our normal time to podcast. And I don't know about you, boys, but I'm going to be sitting on my couch – watching some foosball. I am so excited about uh, both of these games next week. Really looking forward to it. So folks, just kind of keep your eyes peeled for all of that stuff. Um, I also, uh, Sheldon wasn't with us right at the intro. So if you want to find Patrick Sheldon on Twitter, you can get in at P underscore shells. All right. So boys, for shout outs, uh, let's go. Patrick Sheldon, Brendan Chagru, Jack Wright, and I will finish it up. Shout outs, boys. I'm going to shout out the Great Wolf Lodge for having the absolute worst pillows imaginable. I It was, but let me say the Great Wolf Lodge for the first time, I, I went for the first time with the kids this weekend. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, despite the fact that there was enough chlorine in the building to melt my skin. Uh, it was fun. We had a good time. Then I got back to the room and I laid in the bed and it was as if they took like a thousand old rags, melted it with saltwater taffy, let it harden, and then stuck it in a pillowcase. That's what it felt like I was sleeping on. It was like if I had slept on, yeah. if I had slept on like a concrete cinder block, it would have been softer and more comfortable. I don't, like, I don't even know how they did it. They had to work to get a pillow this bad. Um, it was awful. I don't know if anybody else has stayed at the Great Wolf Lodge. Can you, can you like? tweet us and let me know did you have a similar experience that i just get the absolute worst batch of pillows in hotel history uh or has that been your experience too it, it's like it's that it was that awful i had to talk about it it was so bad guys do you um, think the effect was worsened by the fact that you chased around children all day in a place like that and your patience was thin no, see, that's the thing. Like, I felt like I was so exhausted mentally and physically from keeping four children from drowning all day that I should have just gone back to the hotel yeah. and hit a pillow and been out. Instead, okay. I hit the pillow and was like, Jesus H, what is this thing on my neck? It was awful. Um, so so tweeted us. Let me know. I have to know if this is like Great Wolf Lodge at large or it, it, did I just have a bad experience? Shells, I'm I'm very proud of you. Because knowing some of your stories and how just you hate hotels and how like oh. unclean they are. When you told me we're at a water park, I'm like, dude, that is like germ central. How are you like living? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm serious. Like you walk in, if you've been to a Great Wolf Lodge, you walk in to the indoor water park and your eyes immediately start oh. to burn and melt. There's so much chlorine in that building. It's like intoxicating. I don't think your it's skin enough. just immediately starts to itch. 
Just, just so you got a heads up, TJ Brooks. Thanks for the heads up, Shells. Visiting the Great Wolf Lodge in Minneapolis this summer. I'll be bringing my own pillow. <laughs> and yentals. You're welcome, you TJ. Yentals too, right? You're welcome. <laughs> bringing your own. I need to do that. I travel a lot for work. If I can swing it, I really need to bring my own pillow more because I've had I've had similar experiences. Shells, that's game a very... changer. It's a game changer, yeah. dude. I, every every hotel bed is so much better when you have your own pillow. I love pillow talk with you guys. Ah, jeez. <laughs> All right, my uh, I got two quick shout outs. One uh, to my sister Christina because today is her twenty second birthday. So happy birthday! birthday. Yay, happy, happy birthday! birthday. Yeah, Woo! and she's still young enough where I can actually say her age, and she you know doesn't care. And not like she's gonna listen to this anyway. She barely knows what football is. But anyway, uh, shout out to my sister Christina, and uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Gridiron Assassin on Twitter. He was, he's somebody who I've, I've been familiar with for like 10 years because he tweets a lot. And I think he calls into like the ESPN 1000 shows, but him and I just had a lot of good back and forth during the playoff games. Um, he's a really good football follow. Um, he's just got, you know, really good football insight and yeah, it's just a, just a pleasant guy. So follow gridiron assassin and uh, just wanted to shout him out. Got two, and the one is more of a holistic shout out to everyone who listened to us for the entirety of this year, especially considering that the team was subpar. So, to me, that shows a special level of allegiance and fandom that, you know, to say that we appreciate it would be the understatement of of this year at least so far so so thank you so much to i mean the people that are in the chat right now and that are watching us right now are some of the most loyal fans we've had from the very start even when we shifted over from the bear down report to the bear down chicago podcast so i mean in earnest thank you thank you a million thank yous and then also uh from espn 1000 uh tyler aki He's, uh, you know, usually on the board and, and, and helping out with the Waddle and Sylvie show. Uh, but he hosted a couple of, uh, of their evening shows this past week and was filling in. And he does an excellent job. He's very well spoken. He's intelligent. He loves sports. He also handled, uh, you know, kind of your classic um, anti-vax bigot who called in and just he was a pro Tyler was a pro when he handled it. And I sent him a message and said, Hey, good job, dude. You're, you're, you're having a great show. And so we hope to get him on soon and uh, shout out to uh, Tyler Aki. He's at Tyler Aki underscore. His last name is a K I. My first one goes, it's not a real shout out, but how freaking awesome was Greg Olson? Like, he he's my favorite right now. He is my he's my favorite guy. He's so good. He's a great storyteller. He just he's his analysis is spot on. So, but for real, my shout out goes out to a few guys, and it is my around the world group. We are known as the Twenty Six Ks, um, and so that is Dave, Anthony, Daniel, Derek, 
Mike, uh, Ozzy, and and Noel. Uh, we've got a, a, a WhatsApp thread that goes on, and they're Bears fans from Australia, from the UK, Sweden, um, Scotland. It's just they're just wonderful, wonderful guys, and they just need a shout out. I'm hoping that this off season we can find a way to make the logistics work and get all of them together on a pod just to to hear what it's like to be a Bears fan around the world. Really, folks, it's just. Uh, we got to say thank you. Thank you to all of you. Jack said it so incredibly well, but uh, I just want to kind of reiterate some of the things that he said, which is we're just so thankful that that you're hanging out with us, you're enjoying what we're doing, um, and that you want to hang out with all of us. Like I said, a little bit sporadic, but just much love for, for all of you. So please keep your ears peeled. Folks, thank you so very much for Jack Wright, Brendan Shagru, Patrick Sheldon. I'm Ryan Dangle. Thank you so much. Bear down.